If you're trying to figure out the best ways to fund your kids or grandkids' college education, what are the pros and cons between a 529 plan and the various alternatives? Should you use your own state's program? What happens if you're getting a really late start? If you're hoping for the best shot at financial aid, what's the best way to position your, your kids, or your grandkids' assets and income? What if Junior is begging to attend a super expensive school but wants to pursue a career that pays peanuts? All this and more right now on the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Welcome. You are now listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lugani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work towards your ideal retirement. Roshan Lungani and Eric Olson serve clients across the U.S. They offer financial planning and investment advice through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor, and securities through Arate Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, and NFA. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm your co-host, Roshan Lungani, here as usual with Eric Olson and Adrian Nicholson. We're really excited about our topic today. Thanks for joining us for another week. Adrian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Roshan. I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here on another episode of the Retirement Lifestyle Show. We have a Great topic today. I really hits home with me. And uh, Eric, you want to kind of lead our listeners in today's episode? Sure. So today we're talking about college funding, and uh, we, we consider this a, an important topic for our listening base because first, whether you're a parent or you're a grandparent, you're an uncle or you're an aunt, you've probably at one point or another been thinking, "How do I help those little kiddos? Um, how do I help them make sure that they have the wherewithal to attend?" a university or college and um and come out on the other side ready ready to go for adulthood so which is not to say that the the only strategy for preparing for adulthood is that path but for many of our listeners certainly that's the way that their default thinking about preparation um, um, proceeds so what we wanted to do today was to talk about first and foremost the funding side of it and uh, I this is personal for me. But this last uh, week we had been modeling how we could specifically have a a role in um, not just a sort of periodic episodic contribution toward our grandchildren's five twenty nines, but how we could make now a, a line item in our budget that would go on until they finally hit each of them. The last one of them hits her senior year, and if more kids come along, then you know how do we how do we fund that too, and what's the level of commitment that we need to make to help uh, both our grandkids and for that matter our kids succeed in this area so it's uh we just thought we'd pass along some of the lessons that are out there in case particularly for you grandparents it's been a while and you haven't really dealt with this stuff uh that closely this will give you a chance to to do some basic learning and then we'll certainly invite you as always to circle back and talk with us on an individual basis for a more customized approach um to you i we get a lot of questions uh, from from clients about this sort of thing and they're looking at uh, both conventional approaches to funding it and and sort of the unconventional approaches to funding it so we want to make sure that yours is not just you're not adopting just a cookie cutter approach to this but it's one that's tailored to your circumstances but anyway since it's a such a huge financial commitment now uh in terms of the the cost of college attendance 
we thought it's it's not a it's not just a minor um funding question it's so let's let's get to it yes and uh eric you mentioned you're looking for the grandkids i'm also looking for uh for three kids that i need to plan for so definitely a a personal topic as well uh one thing i think we'll start out with you mentioned about just the cost and so just to put some numbers out there uh and we'll share this uh this link uh but there's an estimated annual future college cost. So I'm going to throw the number out and let both of you guess. If you have a two-year-old, what do you anticipate in-state public school will cost them per year by the time they reach age 18 and are ready to go to college? Now we're talking in-state. Any guesses? Adrian, you want to give that a shot? Um, I'm not really sure. I'll just go with 75000 Per year, in-state tuition. Uh, this is you're talking about per year or total for your cost. Oh, per year. Okay. Yeah, in-state tuition. Well, I, I'm going to say it's going to be about forty thousand dollars a year in-state. Uh, I'll tuition. just keep it. What's what's the number? Roshan? Right in between. It's almost fifty-six thousand, and just uh, per year. Uh, it depends. Are we playing prices right rules? Well, you would win with prices right rules, actually. So yes, and and just to, just to show you the difference. Private school. You have a two-year-old now. What's the average private institution going to cost per year <laughs> by the time that two-year-old's eighteen? Eric, you go first this time. Well, I'll go first so that Adrian can can pull his fast one on me and go a penny lower. Uh, but I'll say uh, I'm going to say that uh, the total cost on an annual basis. We're talking about gross price tag, not necessarily net. Uh, is going to be in the neighborhood of about a hundred thousand dollars a year. Hundred, I'll say hundred and one hundred and ten thousand dollars a year. Uh, I'll probably go maybe a little bit lower, like around eighty, eighty thousand, around that level. Yeah, uh, close. You should have gone the other way though, Adrian. It's expected to be one hundred twenty-six thousand dollars per year, uh, meaning a four-year education is just a little over five hundred thousand dollars, which is currently higher than the average home price in the United States. So Eric, when you talk about um, how expensive it is earlier and, and alternative paths you briefly mentioned in our introduction, we'll definitely cover that. But um, college tuition is expensive and it's expected to continue going in that direction. So let's talk about how to fund it. So when we're looking at college funding, um, I like to look at the 529 first just because you get a tax deduction there in your state potentially. So it's worth looking into that, getting the tax deduction. Plus, if you use it for college, uh, use that money for college. And actually, with the new tax law from a couple years ago, you can use it for uh, high school, uh, grammar school, and so on as well, private institutions. But your growth is tax-free. You get the tax deduction. You get some tax-free growth. Now, the tax deduction is limited by state, and and it varies Uh, the amount. But that's where I like to start first. Um, When you think about where's the first dollar you save towards education, that tends to be the first place I like to look at, at least until you've uh, maximized those tax benefits. Gentlemen, what about what are your thoughts on that? Someone says I want to save for education. Yeah, I think the 529 is a a great place to to start. And I think an interesting uh, element of the 529 is you can change the uh, beneficiary who it goes to. I think that's an important element as well. If you have uh, multiple children, if uh, you want to 
just uh, change who it is or have extra funds to it. I think it gives you the flexibility to use that. I think that's great. And the tax benefit as well is also an extremely important element. Um, when it comes to looking at various uh, 529 plans, you should look at the, the fee structures that go into them and the, the investment options are well. I believe those are um, a big part of it to, um, to consider. And also how you set up your investments within that plan is also um, a big part of it, seeing how long you have till you have to fund um, the beneficiary's education is um, is another big factor when it comes to setting them up. Mm-hmm. So it's probably also worth knowing since we are as we are advisors. So we have, um, you know, we have we recognize that helping our clients manage is, is one is one way in which um, you know we can operate our business as well. But I would just highlight for people that um, there are bo- in most states there are at least two versions of your of a 529 plan and so there's one that's the direct version where you don't go through an advisor and then there's a second version which if you wish to have your advisor involved then you'd use that version and of course the difference is is that in the second case your advisor is being compensated to some extent by virtue of uh, of that arrangement so it kind of depends on you if you don't if you really just don't want to have any involvement in it and you just like somebody else to set it up and do it and make the decisions then by all means go ahead and use an advisor but if you feel like you can use some of the use some of the built-in tools to do it directly that's certainly yeah, and an actually option I, for you. I should have started there explaining what the 529 is so that that's an education savings account uh it's it's run by your state, which is why the amount you can deduct will vary by state. Uh, also, Eric mentioned there, there are two types. Uh, I would actually take a step back, Eric, and say we within the 529 is also what's called the prepaid tuition plan. So the, so there, there are, uh, using an umbrella category, I would say the two types are a prepaid tuition plan where you give your money, the, the state calculates what they think you should pay on a monthly basis. And if you have a two-year-old, it's starting from their age of two all the way through to college. And you pay that money every month. Uh, and you're prepaying the cost of tuition. If your child goes to an out-of-state uh, institution, you get the state equivalent. So they give you the state equivalent to help fund that out-of-state institution. What you're doing here, though, is uh, the investments are then on the state. You're not managing your investments. The other type where Eric mentioned there were two sort of subcategories under it. It's the type where you can manage the investments. There there are a bunch of investment options, and you can do one that's either with an advisor's help, uh, and they'll help you make the decisions on the investments, which means they're also compensated for that, or there's one without an advisor attached to it where you still get the state tax deduction and and so on, but you select the investments on, on your own. So when you're looking towards saving for education, I mentioned uh, some of the benefits at the beginning, the fact that if you put money in a 529, you can get a state uh, tax deduction, and that limited varies, limit varies by state, and you get tax-free growth. That, that's only on the type of plan where you manage the investments, not the prepaid tuition type. So your, your state has both of these, and included in our show notes will be a lot of resources one of them that I like when you're looking towards this is easy, an easy one to remember is savingforcollege.com. Uh, they have a lot of good information on there. And I think I've been looking at this site for 
as old as 529s are, right? 20 years or so, they've done a pretty, pretty good job. So a great resource to look at for the different types of plans your state offers, the deductions, the investments they've got, a lot of good data there. Gentlemen, anything you would add on that? Yeah, one, one more thing I'd add would just be uh, contributions and income limits are pretty favorable when they come to uh, 529 plans. Do you want, um, can you get a little bit more into that, Roshan? I think that'd be pretty helpful for our listeners. Well, from a contribution perspective, uh, where you can, you can put in um, uh, pretty much what you want. They, they do have various limits by state. Uh, but you only get a deduction on a certain portion. So I know like locally in Virginia, uh, where our offices are, you get a tax deduction of uh, 4000 per year per beneficiary to put it in. And then if you look at another state, just to give an example, um, which is also near us in D.C., you can get uh, um, in Virginia, it's 4000 per year per beneficiary. So you could do that per child. Whereas in D.C., it's 4000 per year, but they cap you at 8000 So what that means is in D.C., if you have three children you want to put money aside for and you do 4000 each, your benefit tax deduction is capped at 8000 So is that a tax credit or a tax deduction? Because for- It's a state tax deduction in Virginia and D.C. Is it different in Illinois? What's, what's the tax rate in Virginia? Uh, 5.75. So to get a $4,000 uh, tax deduction, you'd need to put in almost $80,000? No, no, no. You put in 4000 That 4000 is deductible. So your net tax savings is $230. Oh, I see. You're capped at the at $4,000. Uh, con- oh, I see. All right. Well, that's interesting. So in Illinois, where I had been living until just a, <laughs> a moment ago, uh, you could contribute each member of a, of a household could contribute 10,000. So you could put in 20,000 in a year. And as a result, you'd have, um, you'd have a, it, at what was effectively a 5% tax rate, 4.95, you'd save a thousand dollars on taxes. Yep. Yeah. And so it, it is the similar in the sense that they're using the, uh, it is a deduction, not a credit, but different in, in the caps. So, Look into your state. As I said, that saving for college is a good is a good resource for it. Um, and I'll move on to the next area. Well, and let me just again, say one more thing about that because it's about there's another element of is it should you use your state's own plan? And I would say if you have the if your state is a relatively high income tax state and it, you have a circumstance where there's a fair amount fairly high cap on how much you can contribute and have that portion deductible then there's a strong motivation to really look at your own state. But if you're in a low-tax state or a no-tax state, then, of course, that's not an issue. Or I would say just on the basis of what you said, I didn't know your, your numbers were that low. If the only real gain is on a tax deduction benefit, the, the, you know, the, the effective savings on a tax side is $200, it might make sense to say if it's not a great plan, is it worth $200 to have a, a costly plan just to get the tax benefit? So I would say don't hesitate to look at plans in other states because the money is portable. Your child doesn't have to go to school in that state uh, using the, you know, because you use the, let's say, the Timbuktu plan, your child has to go to school in Timbuktu. Yeah, and also uh, it's a comparison uh, and a mentality, I think, what you're comfortable with from an investment rate of return as well. So if you look at your state's plan and you say, well, I get a tax deduction, but 
the I don't like the investments within them. You can look to to another state and you can say, all right, well, my tax deduction would save me X amount per year in either dollars or percentage. Do I think this other plan's investment will outperform the tax the tax savings where it might be worth foregoing? So the mentality side of it, I, I when I look at something like this, is the guaranteed tax deduction versus the uncertain investment returns and what you feel comfortable with, whether uh, you think you'll win that um, that battle if you decide to get go forego the deduction. Right. So it's underlying in, performance of the investments, underlying cost of the investments, and the tax considerations all need to be taken into account when you do this. The other thing I'll mention though is is that the although the um, the conventional approach to the you know traditional uh, investment market based growth um, five twenty nine that's fully portable. It's not the case with prepaid tuition plans that they're portable in the same way. So let's say that I use the Illinois plan and I contribute to the prepaid tuition version of it. It's based on a calculation of what the state of Illinois has projected the, my child's cost of education would be on a, on a per capita weighted basis across all the state schools. So for example, you have University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, it has one price structure, uh, Northern Illinois University and uh, has another, uh, and so forth and so on. So they are just looking at how many students are at each of these schools, what is the cost for each of these schools, they weight that out over all those students, and then on that basis, that's what the tu- the prepaid tuition plan um, is, is projecting they have to cover as an average cost across all the state. But if my child elects not to go to one of those state universities, then what essentially they'll do is they'll redeem out the money on that weighted uh, cost basis. And then I take that pool of money and I can use it elsewhere. So it's not just to emphasize, it doesn't guarantee me that I'll get a state school education paid any place. It's in that case, it's really only in my own state that the, I can have confidence that the prepaid approach has secured me that, that yeah. um, tuition yes. cost. And uh, you mentioned this earlier, but also um, actually, I believe Adrian mentioned this you can change the beneficiary as well. So it's worth, it's worth uh, noting that if you have multiple children and you think, well, um, I wanna make sure I can pay for a private school, but is the likelihood of all of them going to a private school higher or lower? And then you can just say, well, I'll put more in this one account versus this account, and you can always move it around. And use it, if you decide to go back to uh, the school yourself and you wanna move it to you from your children, you're welcome to do that as, as well. So there is that beneficiary that flexibility of changing the beneficiary um next i've got on my list if someone says all right i want to save for college they've done the 529 gotten the state tax deduction whether it's for your child or your grandchild i like to go next to a regular regular investment account the and there are a lot of situations that that vary but to me it also depends on the goals you're working towards so what i mean by this is um a regular investment account is just setting up a brokerage account. If you're a grandparent and you want it to go to your grandchildren, you, um, uh, you can just put them on the account as beneficiary. Or if you've got a trust, you can put it uh, the trust as a beneficiary on the account. What it gives you that the 529 doesn't is it gives you more control. With the 529, if the money is not used for education, you can get to it, but you've got to pay taxes on the growth, plus you've got to pay a penalty. Whereas a regular investment account you can access it if you need it uh, for anything else besides education. So that's sort of the positive and negative. If you want to pass it on to your 
uh, kids or grandkids and you want to make sure it's only used for education, the 529 is superior. Uh, on the flip side, if you want maximum flexibility and say not only do I want my kids and grandkids to use it for anything, but I would like the ability to tap into it for something if needed, that's where an investment account um, uh, gives you that flexibility. So as I said, I like looking at 529s for that tax deduction first, then looking at the investment account uh, as the next next step. Uh, gentlemen, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Roshan, that maximum flexibility, I think, is uh, really key to an investment account. Like you said, you're not sort of locked into specific educational expenses. You do have that flexibility if things come up or you need to use the funds for something else. I think that's really important. And those uh, different investment options as well, I think, is is really important where you're, again, you still have to consider the time frame on when you're going to most likely use those funds for certain expenses. But again, you do have that flexibility if needed, I think is extremely important. So I'll mention another approach to this. If you're saying we're, we're going to stay away from a 529 and we want flexibility and we want control, which uh, depending on the family circumstance, that might make a, a, a ton of sense, especially if you're not certain that your child is one who has the, your child or grandchild has the, the sort of disposition to really follow through on a four-year education. I mean, there's a lot of students who, you know, start who don't finish. And um, so you might want to say, um, you want to have money in a Roth IRA, as an example. You can put money into a Roth, or for that matter, you could put, if you wish to, you could make contra- uh, gift money to your kids so that they could, uh, they as they have earnings, they can put it into their Roth. I'm talking about now your, I'm speaking now to grandparents. I don't wouldn't advise doing this for children, but uh, to the grandchildren themselves or the future students themselves. But if you're a grandparent, you might want to gift money to your kids and they can put it into a Roth IRA. And then while the growth they can't use for college funding, they certainly can take the, the principal contributions that were made into that Roth and, uh, and bring those out and use those uh, under specified circumstances to pay the cost yeah, of tuition. You can, you can use that, uh, Eric. I'm not, uh, I'll tell you why I'm not a fan of it. And I, I'm, I feel, feel free to give me your feedback. But to me, the advantage of the Roth uh, is the tax deferral and the tax-free nature of it. So if you're really maximizing the Roth IRA, you, in theory, want it to stay in there forever. You also don't have forced required minimum distributions for it. So yes, this can be an option where, where um, the, w- the way I would like potentially using it for, for college, if that's the way you go, is as a backup plan, right? Primary, prime, I wouldn't, I'm not a fan of using it as a primary vehicle for education just because I think you're missing an opportunity for the longer deferred growth and the tax-free potential withdrawals by doing it this way. So I'm not disputing that that it's something that you can do at all. You're you're uh, completely right about it. I just don't like this being a primary vehicle for education savings. Maybe a backup. Okay. Well, um, I, I guess it's sort of like the, the competition for I've yeah, got a exactly. dollar. Where yes. am I going to put it? <laughs> and uh, and so I I have uh, if I have you know the the option to have it grow on a completely tax free basis and. Um, you know, I think that's a pretty compel. There's a pretty compelling argument for doing that. So, um, you know, but if, but if you've already maxed on a Roth, of course, you can't contribute anything more to that. So that, that's a limitation. Um, 
I, I just no, really I, like I, avoiding yeah. taxes. I, I agree. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. I, I'm, what's interesting in this is uh, if you're comparing the 529 versus the Roth in this, in this, in this specific conversation, right? Let's just say those are, those are the only options and there's nothing else hypothetically for education. Um, I would, and I'm going slowly because I'm actually thinking this through as I go through it. The thing I like about the Roth, what you just said, is if you're not on track for retirement, right? And then you've got that flexibility to use it for either. But if you're on track for retirement, I like the 529 um, better for education, and especially if there's more than one child or person you'd want to fund for it because you can move it around. But um, I'm trying to think where the first dollar would go if, if these are just the two to, com- two to compare. And I guess maybe I'm hopeful that you're already putting money in the Roth and maxing that out. Um, if, you're, if you're not, though, as I think this through, if you're behind for retirement, I'd probably do the Roth before the 529. And I remember for years they would always say, you can get a loan for college, but you can't get a loan for retirement. Right? So in that scenario, if you're behind for retirement, so I'm going to change what I said earlier. I guess not fully change. I'm going to add an, uh, an addendum to it is how, how I put it. Yes, if you're not on track for retirement, definitely the Roth first. And if we're looking at all goals at once, uh, maybe the Roth would come would come first. On the flip side, though, if we're speaking just education and the other goals are on track, then then argument for the 529, I think, is a little bit stronger. I think what you're the point of this conversation or a conclusion one can draw from this conversation is there is not a one size fits all answer for people. And so it really is, to a certain extent, what's, what's the nature of your particular circumstance? And if you'd like some help thinking that through, of course, reach out to us. It also depends not just you know, on, on the nature of whether or not you're on track to fund your own retirement, but I think it also depends on how close you are to the child actually going off to school. Because while in an, in an ideal world, in an ideal world, we'd say, hey, I just had a baby or my, my kids just had a baby. Let's get started on that because it's pro- it's, it's cons- it's, there's a high likelihood that there's going to be a need for that money in the, in the very predictable future. Um, if for whatever reason that you were, again, it came down to I, I had a dollar. I had to put food on the table before I put it into a 529 or I had a dollar. I had, you know, I had to I had to save for retirement before I put it into a 529 or this sort of thing. And you're it's let's say your children are. 13, 14, 15, and now you're saying, okay, how am I going to do this? Um, th- that it's a different answer. In fact, we'll, we should, you know, at some point, not necessarily this episode, but come back and talk about all the other sorts of ways that people are saying, okay, it's too late for me to build a pool, a giant pool of wealth that will cover the costs of my child's education or grandchild's education. So what are some of my other options? And we certainly can talk about some yeah, of those. I, I, yes, I, I, think that situation you described it really well in the sense that it does come down to personal situation for sure and this is where i think the planning process is so valuable and um everyone knows we think it's valuable because that's what we do you know we wouldn't be in something we didn't believe in but uh but let me continue on to our next savings area because i think our our debate on um on um merits and costs uh, are are definitely worth worth having the next two, the next thing you can look at, the next two, I'm going to sort of lump them together, even though they're different, because one, I don't use either of them very much anymore for, for a few reasons. So I think they're to a certain degree somewhat antiquated. Um, uh, and But two, people do have them. Custodial accounts, which is an UGMA or UTMA account, depending on the state you're in, 
Uh, and then the other one is the Coverdale. I'll touch the Coverdale plan first. That used to be the education IRA. You can put money into it. It grows tax-free. Uh, the reason it's lost its popularity when the 529s came out and the tax law change are two things. In the Coverdale, the money goes in. It's currently capped at 2000 It used to be 500 uh, before. So the, the caps were low. So it would never quite enough for funding education. So the scenarios where you would use it previously was because it had the flexibility of using it for private uh, grammar school or private high school. But now the 529 can do that as well. So to me, that plan is just uh, not being used as much because of the limitations on the max and because the, the superior flexibility it offered is now gone. Similar on the UTMA accounts, when people would use it for education, you in an UTMA or UGMA account, you pass the money to your children. Uh, it becomes their money. They can literally do whatever they want when they're of age, but it offered superior tax benefits, but the 529 tax benefits are now are better than the custodial accounts. So if you're focused on college, that account for that reason is also not as appealing as it was you know, 20 years ago. Uh, thoughts on either of those accounts? I, I feel like they're legitimate education savings vehicles, so we should mention them, but they're not as good as the others in terms of the benefits they offer now. Yeah, I think there are some options to consider. And like you say, for the UTMA, the, the assets go to the, the, the minor on the account. And that's, um, you kind of lose some of that flexibility compared to the, in, the investment account that uh, we talked about earlier. I think that's an important element to consider where they have more control on what they're going to use those funds for, I think, is, is another area for our listeners to explore. So I want to say we haven't really touched on the question of how who owns the asset factors into the financial aid formula and what is known as the expected family contribution or EFC. Now, many of our clients are uh, resource rich. And as a result, most many of our clients don't have much in the way of uh, a, a legitimate shot at need based financial aid so um but that's that's not always the case and certainly um sometimes when we're talking with the grandparents <laughs> or the you know the the new grandparents whose own kids maybe aren't in that same financial position yet it it's useful to think through the question of how am i going to structure this in a way that's going to do the most good when it comes time to file that what's known as the fafsa form and with that FAFSA form, then from that is derived this expected family contribution. So I would say the UTMA or the UGMA, while they certainly have certain advantages, are one of the worst places, uh, if you're hoping for need-based financial aid, to put money. And the reason is, is that assets that are, the, the, in terms of the things that score most against financial aid, or let's say differently, the things that score highest toward the expected family, family contribution are number one, the child's own income. So roughly, if I'm, the number I think is 50% of the child's income is earmarked as, um, is, is earmarked that it should be contributed toward the the expected family contribution. And that works down next to the child's assets that are deemed to be the child's assets, then to the parent's income, then to the parent's assets. And so you want to, as much as possible, you want to try to scale your, your, your structuring of all that in such a way 
that you at least where you have a choice between where you locate assets you want to put those assets where possible in in the parents not the children's names on the income side you could go one step further actually with that and have that asset belong with a grandparent then it doesn't show up as an asset but if it's money coming out of a 529 plan that the grandparent owns and where the grandchild is the beneficiary unfortunately they they're not they recognize that loophole would be too big and everybody would just do it in the names of their grandparents so that what they've done is they've said all right income that comes or pardon me distributions that come from the 529 to fund the college are in fact deemed the child's income and as a result in the formula they're scored as as a 50 percent earmark toward that expected family contribution so navigating this there's a there's a, a kind of choreography a, a science to the choreography of all of this where based on how far back the FAFSA looks at you know prior prior year tax returns there it's a it's possible to structure this in a way that you have it in the um you kind of have it sort of in a stealth mode and you have assets in the grandparents own 529 that are not released until the the child the grandchild has reached a certain stage in their education and then once they've reached that stage, then boom, presto, then you can start releasing funds from it. And they'll, they'll be in tax years that are too late in the game to, to count in the FAFSA formula for the, the, the junior or senior year. So um, anyway, there's a, there is a, there's a, a, an optimization science to the use of 529s that if you're wanting help with, we're not going to try to uh, cover this all in this conversation, but if you'd like help with this, absolutely reach out to us and we can help you with uh, uh, choreography uh, of that particular yeah, maneuver. And what you touched on is a is another thing where it varies by individual, which is um, um, figuring out withdrawals from these plans is as important as figuring out where to contribute, right? So you've got to think that think about that going forward. And that really is for the other major goal of retirement as well, right? Think about where you're saving today, but also think about how the withdrawals in the future will will impact you. And that's where these different accounts and these different options are important. Uh, gentlemen, I, I have the uh, areas I wanted to cover from a savings perspective. And uh, I, I'd like to talk about the uh, cost benefit of education we went over before. Um, uh, and Eric, you mentioned that briefly at the, at the introduction, where, where would you like to start with this? We've, we've been debating whether the cost of, of, um, tuition has gotten so high that, uh, the benefit of certain types of education, uh, may not, it may not be worth it from a financial perspective, right? If you, if you say that, um, you can't quantify the value of learning. I'm not disagreeing with that. But if you quantify the income you'll get from that education, is it worth is it worth the cost? I've said this on this podcast before. My um, my son loves art, and if he and uh, my niece is at a school that's good for she's not majoring in art, but it's good for art students. And when we took her there, he saw that they focus on art, and he says to me. I want to go to this school because I want to study art. And I said, you know what, instead of doing that, just take a year off and go travel the world and make art <laughs> instead of studying it. Cause you might make more money that way. So uh, a little bit insight into my thoughts, but Eric, what were you thinking about with this topic? Well, so there's two kinds of 
two, I would say at least two kinds of worth uh, that one can measure here. One is the financial return on your investment. <laughs> and then the other is, of course, the non-financial human uh, value. So, and I would say it's no big shocker that a lot of people meet their their lifelong partners and in, in college and i uh you know i would say there's a huge value there especially if you wind up happily married um but i but i also would just say if we're talking strictly about the financial returns it's i think it's important to acknowledge that there are big differences in starting and light and lifetime earnings for different professions i mean that's obviously a, a fully recognized right so uh, let's say somebody's coming out with a with an electrical engineering or computer engineering or mechanical engineering degree uh recently the starting starting salary for those um professional degrees or those those degrees is in the high 70s and pushing eighty thousand dollars a year depending on the company and depending on the location and so forth Whereas nationally, I think the median um, price to somebody who emerges with, let's say, a um, or medium income, I should say, for the uh, person who emerges with a liberal arts degree or with a uh, preschool or child uh, or, you know, early L educational degree is around half that. So if it's which isn't to say that's not valuable and which isn't to say you should shouldn't follow your heart's desire. But if you're looking at the, the math of it and you're saying, hmm. I'm thinking about sending my child to a four-year private college, and they haven't necessarily knocked the ball, the cover off the ball uh, with their grades and their ACT or SAT scores. So, um, and we're we're of a relatively high income, so our expected family contribution is going to be pretty high, and they're probably not going to get much merit-based aid. So, in today's money, in today's money, the school that's about seven miles from here that my eldest daughter attended if the full ticket for that we're talking about room board tuition fees the whole uh, whole kit and caboodle 50 grand a year so if you have to say would it make sense to spend two hundred thousand dollars and defer a lot of income generation for four years and then ask that 200 figure out a way to repay that if i don't have the money for it and i'm not pre-funding it or even if i am but is it worth that two hundred thousand dollar investment to come out and have a degree that's gonna that where that child would earn forty thousand dollars a year? You might say, well, of course, Eric, forty thousand dollars a year, they'd make that back in five years. Yeah, what would the, that's not the right analysis. The question is, is did, how much did that two hundred thousand dollar expenditure boost their income? What kind of income would they have had if they had not done that? And so is maybe the difference is $10,000 a year. So now that you're talking about it takes 20 years to recoup that cost. Maybe that's worth it. But I mean, that's the kind of analysis I think it's worth doing. I want to interrupt you for, for a second there. I think the comparison you're making, tell me if I'm wrong, just to clarify, is, is which school? So hypothetically, in this scenario, it's you can get the same degree at an institution where you pay $25,000 a year versus an institution where you pay $50,000 a year. Is that correct, what you're comparing right now? No, I'm comparing degree programs uh, and the, the, the kind of majors that you pursue and then asking in light of that, does it, make sense to, does it make sense to make an expenditure of that kind on that degree? And whether that's at a private well, school certain, or state see, school see, or wherever. Certain positions that, that you'd want to pursue just require the degree, right? Regardless, regardless of, uh, uh, of the 
and so the way the way I'd look at it, and this this is what I thought you were you were doing. Why I want want a clarification is, if you're getting a degree where the average starting salary is going to be forty thousand um, dollars, and you're comparing a school that's fifty thousand a year versus a school that's twenty five thousand a year, maybe the expected income you're going to get would say go to the cheaper university because you're not getting a boost in your income to you're you're not increasing your income significantly enough to justify doubling your cost of education at that point i think that's you could certainly ask that question too i mean that's it's it's the inverse of asking the question should i double my income or cut my my college cost in half but I, well my, you're not doubling your income that you that's, should that's think key, about what's the right you're not no, what I'm saying is if you go with the engineering degree versus the oh, early L it. degree, you're going to have roughly twice the income. So you, the, the, just in terms of look at the ratios of See, the I'll return tell you, on that investment. I'll tell you why I think that's much flawed, more, because I think it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a, 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 granted, I'm sure there are people that pick their degree based on expected income, but I think there are a lot of people that just want to pursue mm-hmm. a certain degree. That, that's what they want to do, right? That's, oh, I that's what you want to do for the rest of your sure. life. So to me... Your comparison of uh, the engineering versus the early education, right? Those were the, the degrees you compared. Um, to me, that do- that doesn't necessarily work because I don't know that someone is going to say, well, I want to study early education, but I'm going to go to engineering because I like, uh, because I want to make more money. I'm not saying people don't do that. I just imagine that's in the minority because those degrees seem so different to me. Well, so let's. There's two. There's two forms of this argument. I would say number one is to say that the the child, if and it's partly philosophical and it's partly it's partly a belief about the nature, human nature, and the nature of gifting and so forth. So if you think that your if your viewpoint is is that a child is sort of a preformed thing and there there you need the best course of action for them is to pursue that degree or that career that's really well aligned with how their heart is tuned and they're and they're and they're wired which by the way i believe that to a large extent but if you think that's the only influence then you should say okay it's pretty evident that this child is 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 on track to be you know in a low low a less well compensated uh profession then my counsel to you would be do the math and ask yourself if it really makes sense to send them to that fifty thousand dollar a year school to do that so, but if you have a, a second view of this is, is that, you know what, there's a lot of joy and a lot of fulfillment in life that's derived in a variety of ways. Many of those are relational, not necessarily purely professional. And some of them are financial and not having to struggle financially because you, you encumbered yourself with a large bill, either in the form of a student loan or, or whatever the case might be, for something that doesn't have a very high return on that expenditure. And you may find that the 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 what you forfeited in the way of happiness in some of those ways um, offsets enough of the, the supposed you know sort of psychological and spiritual returns being doing exactly what you love, and you might say, hey, I, my child is five, <laughs> and my child loves my child loves his or her teacher, and so has decided at five that my child wants to be a teacher. You know what? There's going to be more that your child's going to be exposed to over life. Use some use those years to give a broader exposure. Maybe they'll wind up liking engineering and they just haven't envisioned what that looks like yet. I'm not I didn't go into engineering by the way. I'm not I'm Well, not here, here's my argument Eric. I'm using you but, as an example, right? Uh mm-hmm. you are a very analytical person, right? 
when you're when you were selecting your major in school and so on, you being an analytical person, you're 18 now, not when you're five. I don't think I could have convinced you to study art uh, and and pursue art for the rest of your life if art paid sixty thousand a year and any analytical focus you had paid thirty. I don't think you as a person would have shifted to that degree just because I don't, and, and I'm not arguing nature versus nurture. Maybe you were born that way. Maybe your parents raised you that way. What I'm saying is, Eric, if you were 18 and you could double your expected annual income and you're an analytical person by becoming an artist, do you think you would have shifted your life trajectory, been an art major and, and done art for the rest of your life? Well, if you knew how tremendous a fool I was at age 18 and how uh, what's on senseless spaces I used for deciding things, you'd, you'd know my answer to that would be. So you, you would have, you, you so think I could be, have actually convinced you to shift to art. No, no, no. <laughs> I I'm, I'm, I'm being yeah. completely facetious. <laughs> I, I, no, I was a total, I was like a total idealist at that time. Was lingering after effects. I'm a recovering idealist, but the, um, uh, the, yeah, so I made a lot of decisions at that point that had nothing to do with the the, the financial ramifications of those decisions whatsoever. Um, having said that, I, I would say part of it, I think, is how do I put this? There are certain I, I, without you know I, I, how do I say this? This is this is a very this is a little bit awkward. I'm going to put it this way: some some cultures. It look at their kids and say, are you kidding? Your only choice is engineering, science, ma you know, maybe math, although that's, that's slumming it a little bit in, in, in this sort of thing. Uh, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be an attorney. You know, they basically have told the child, There's n th these are your options. They're very, they're very predetermined. You don't have any choice in the matter. Whether you like it or not, this is what you're going to do. And then you have other, other, and, and the child's go, oh, the children go, okay. And they manage to find a, a way to have happiness within that, even if maybe law or medicine or, you know, what have you wasn't their, their favorite thing. And then there are other settings in which it's just like, hey, whatever you want to do, we just want you to follow your passions and follow your heart. And what you see is a lot of, uh, a lot of the kids in those kinds of settings wind up in, low compensated things and then you kind of want then people are going well why do we have these these big income disparities in this country well it's partly because of the choices that people make about what they're going to pursue so i, I would say on that basis you know i i wouldn't look at a five or a seven or a 12 year old as necessarily so preformed that you you the parent just have to say oh, whatever you want child just let's do with let's go that way and irrespective, I'll fund you because here's here's the final, I guess, the kind consequence that I see on the other side of it. I see some parents who essentially felt so, what would I say, obligated to to provide their children with this carte blanche experience for anything they wanted to do that they were willing to essentially forego funding their own education or their own retirements, I mean to say. And and would rack up massive indebtedness because they were so guilt ridden about not offering their children specifically what their children wanted, and 
and as a result now are in a kind of constant state of financial stress about this. I have other friends, not clients, but friends who had a very idealistic approach to all of this, went and got degrees in really low compensated fields at really expensive schools and did that not just for four years of college, but for two or three years of graduate school and now have these these massive balances that they can never pay off and are wondering, do I default on my loans? Do I declare bankruptcy? And I think, you know, that we can get into that, but I would say, do you really... Do you, is that really the path that you want to follow now? Because you 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 made those choices, so it's you know we can have that conversation after the fact, but it may be a better place to have that is before the fact, and not be indifferent to that kind of financial consequence and strain yeah. stemming from those decisions. I, I think this goes back to what we've talked about throughout the episode of you, you've got to plan these things out, right? You've got to think it through and plan it out, and um, um, with your uh, the scenarios with the clients or the, or the friends where they either uh, wanted to give them anything, I always think of it, and, and I haven't had to live through that, right? So views do change. But at this point, I think, well, just be willing to live with the consequences. If you want to be, um, if you if you want to pursue something that will be a low-paying f- a field, go for it. You're good. That's the life to be prepared to live in that lower-paying uh, lifestyle as well. So it, it's not, not that it's all about money, but I mean, we are three finance guys, so <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll get some of the information here. Uh, gentlemen, any, any last thoughts on the education savings, uh, planning, uh, value topic we covered well, today? I guess I should probably just issue a corrective. I mean, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a corrective. I, I want to say I am not against people pursuing their passions i'm not against that (laughs) i'm saying prepare for that yeah so that you can so that the financial consequence of doing that isn't one you regret for the rest of your life so saving in advance is is an approach (laughs) that can help you do that uh i'll say one thing that we really should at some point again not time in this episode but talk about what steps can children and for that matter parents take from early stages of their children's lives to set them up so that they'll get lots of merit-based aid and uh, you know that's a huge part of it and or if they're not in a position to get merit-based age merit-based aid there are other strategies i mean i have some of my friends have their children have and this is not they didn't just do this for sort of mercenary reasons they felt like this was aligned with their values but their kids went and joined the national guard in their state and as a result of being part of the National Guard, then they got their, their education funded. I've had other friends whose kids, you know, they didn't have a lot of means, but their kids um, were you know, working as caddies at the local country club and wound up getting a, a full ride from an Evans scholarship and things of this kind. So you, you know, thinking through how you're going to fund this it, it, it is is part of the entire, or how, how you might circumvent having to fund it is, is part of the whole thing. And in that point, if, 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 whether it's through some of these other means or, or saving for it, if you can fund something that's a low compensated professional experience thereafter, but it's your joy, more power to you. I don't I'm not, I'm certainly not saying, Hey, everybody has to have one of the highest paying jobs because that's doesn't work 
uh, either. So I, I I just needed to clarify that because I could I think one could be left with the impression that I'm saying everybody go be a doctor or an engineer and I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I didn't interpret it that way, but clarification is is uh, always useful. I think the way I looked at what you were saying was uh, just plan it out, right? And then and then use um, it, once you've planned this out use the conclusion you've come up with to help you make the right decision in major, in college, uh, the type of school or no school, right? You had mentioned, mentioned that earlier, just figure out what's right, right for you. Uh, Adrian, any, any parting thoughts? Yeah, I really enjoyed um, the discussion. Again, it, it, it comes down to boiling down to the individual. I think that we saw that. And it's, again, it's really hard to quantify um, like, your dollars put in and learning it going to an institution and the value derived from that uh, you, it makes it seem like you've got to use all the resources at hand or there's some people that might not take advantage of all the resources or their classes or the, the people they go to classes with I think is an important element of it but it just shows how it really boils down to the individual and how planning is an important aspect of it I completely agree uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Uh, we hope uh, you enjoyed the conversation and hope you still like Eric after what he said earlier. Uh, please. <laughs> it's easy not please to do. Please like, I'll tell you. subscribe, tell your friends and family about us. And we'll be back to you next week with another episode of the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. If you found this show helpful, gained knowledge, or enjoyed the time you spent with Roshan, Eric, and Adrian, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, or to ask us a question, go to retirewithroshan.com. That's retire with Roshan. R-O-S-H-A-N dot com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. While based on information they believe is reliable, neither Arate Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of Arate Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. Finally, our music is The Chance by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. It's part of the YouTube Audio Library, and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thank you for listening.